Hi there, welcome back to the Bible Project podcast. And we're continuing today with our introduction to Genesis chapter 9, where we've been talking about personhood. And today we're going to look at the secular world, what they consider the five criteria of personhood. And I would remind you that the transcript for all these talks is available in the episode notes of any audio version of this podcast. So there are five views from the secular world of what it means to be a person. Some of these views, I believe, clash diametrically with our Christian worldview. But for some of them, it's probably a little bit more nuanced. Contemporary American legal scholar, a man named John Noonan, gives us the first option, which he called the genetic criteria of personhood. This says simply that you are a person if you have human DNA, and you are not a person if you do not. How does that sound as a definition of personhood? You may immediately notice that the narrowness of this definition means that dead people, yes corpses, will become persons under this criteria. If all you need to be a person is human DNA, then if you were to pick a scab on a cut and set it on a table, one could suggest that the human cells on that scab granted personhood. However, that would mean none of your favourite fictional characters or any androids or robots would meet the genetic criteria, even though they may appear to behave and act like persons to you and me. They are less human than your extracted tooth lying in the little bowl beside you in a dentist's chair. Now the virtue of this view is its simplicity, but its implications are so problematic that most Christians and even now most philosophers dismiss it. So the second criteria of personhood is what is called the cognitive criteria. American philosopher Mary Ann Warren offers a more wide-ranging criteria that she believes when pulled together constitute personhood. In order to be granted the cognitive basis for personhood, we must have consciousness and what she calls be self-motivated. There must be activity going on, but there also must be the capacity to communicate and show self-awareness, and these factors make up her cognitive criteria for personhood. Warren argued that some humans aren't persons either because they're not capable of communicating or are self-aware. Or, if they can't think for themselves or move around on their own volition or don't have consciousness. She says that type of entity is not a being that we can call a person. Even if that being happens to have DNA, it can still be ruled out as a person by her criteria. And that even means that people who are temporary incapacitated due to medical procedures or serious illnesses, lose their personhood. Warren's criteria may kick out of the personhood club some beings that you and I would clearly think and believe are people. Who? Well, you and me, for starts, for example. We ourselves, when we get older, could potentially lose our personhood and perhaps our parents or grandparents have lost it right now. Most Christians also reject this worldview because it rules out many groups of people, including fetuses, but it kind of rules out very young children as well, as kids don't become self-aware until they're around 18 months. The third criteria for personhood is what's called the social criteria. This says you're a person when society recognises you as a person or when someone cares about you. 
Now this one seems fairly intuitive. It says that you matter morally when you matter to someone else. This allows for society's understanding of a person to change over time. Now this has seemed useful when society wants to think about things like animal rights or veganism. However, if you think carefully about this view, it also means that if no one happens to care for a particular being, then that being is no longer a person. So some healthily functioning adult humans might not have personhood granted under this criteria just because no one happens to love or care for them. Christians also struggle with this view because we believe that everyone is worthy of our consideration. Most Christians would argue that one of the core messages of the Bible is that God loves everyone. In fact, we believe that God loves everyone so much that he sent his only Son into the world that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. Most Christians, I think, would probably want inclusion for everyone in the moral community, not to be something that is just a current popularity test based on the whims of what society thinks at this moment. So we're not doing so well with these first three criteria from a Christian point of view. Maybe number four will fare better. And the fourth criteria is called sentience. Now there's a contemporary Australian moral philosopher called Peter Singer who said the key to personhood is sentience. And sentience is the ability to feel pleasure and pain. And in some way he believes that this is the key to personhood. However, this criteria ignores the whole concept of species and, in a sense, humanity, and instead it looks at every individual being's capacity to suffer. Personhood is granted at the point when something can feel pain emotionally or physically, and Singer suggests it's morally wrong to cause unnecessary pain to anything that can feel. However, if it can't feel, it will do no harm to exclude an entity from the group of beings that matter. Now again, most Christians struggle with this because humans in comas or people in persistent vegetative state or even fetuses in whatever stage of development fall outside this category. Yet any animal with a central nervous system becomes a person under these criteria. Christians would ask, is personhood like a switch you can have and then you don't have when you get old and frail? Okay. The final secular worldview of personhood is what's called the gradient view of personhood. Because this theory recognises the potential in the previous theory, but it says it's not an all or nothing switch. There is a switch, it still says, for personhood, but with this theory it's presented more like a dimmer switch. Personhood comes in degrees and you can be more or less of a person as you grow into personhood. Therefore, a 26-year-old weak fetus would have less personhood than a 34-week-old fetus, which would have less personhood than a newborn baby, which would have less personhood than a toddler. Likewise, at the other end of life's story, personhood can be lost gradually, just like it was gained in the beginning. A lot of people today believe this is a reasonable way to look at this issue. But by this logic, the interests of the being with more personhood will always be given more weight in a situation that requires a choice. This doesn't deny the personhood of either being, but it allows that some beings have more personhood than others. This sounds a bit to me like the statement in George Orwell's classic Animal Farm, 
which said all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Okay, that's what we have. That is what I believe are the main secular worldviews of what it means to be a person. But is there another? Is there another view of personhood which for Christians can take a completely different tack? Well, I believe there is, and we shall look at that in the next episode. <laughs>